he stood at the grave of a dead man, and his name was Lazarus. And he looked over the crowd of people that were there that day. And every, every one of them had gotten that despair locked in, that natural human despair. And Jesus said to them, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And I love this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Does that hit us today that wherever we're at and whatever we're dealing with, that we actually truly believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And I love what Jesus said to them, and I'm going to remind you again. Jesus told them, you roll away the stone. Now, there was enough power of God. There was angels that would have been under the command and the authority of Jesus. But He looked them in the eyes and He said, it's your turn to believe. I'm the power. I'm the resurrection. You need to believe Me. And He has the authority to do so. And today, I want to awaken our conscience. I want to awaken us. The greatest sin in mankind is not drug addiction. The greatest sin is not committed by Hamas. The greatest sin is committed by the people of God who will not believe in the authority of Jesus. That's the greatest sin. And I need to say that today because if we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the worst thing we could do, the worst thing we could do today is stand there looking over the grave of society, looking over the grave of lost loved ones, looking over the grave of those that still need to be saved, looking over the grave of young people that are bound by rebellion, looking over the grave of everybody's sin addiction, and leave that stone we're sitting right there because we don't believe in the name and the authority of Jesus. Now that goes for me too because it's something really, it's ridiculous to think that Jesus has all the power and then Jesus is calling you and me to have a, a, an absolute faith in the authority. Now, has He proven Himself? Has He been able? Absolutely. Now, why am I speaking so boldly? I don't know, but I think there's a few people in here just need to hear it. Maybe there's somebody that's going to hear this on the internet that needs to hear it. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to absolutely believe in Jesus. Let's look at this in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. Now that I'm all fired up and ready to preach, I'm looking forward to this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move on me and move on you at the same time. God is working in us, isn't He? We have such a beautiful, beautiful touch of God here. Thank you, Lord. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a severe and difficult... and No, that's not what it says. He says, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, when I read those words, I think that's so backwards. There's something so backwards about that prayer. There's something just doesn't seem fitting. It doesn't make sense to me why he's praying in this manner. He's angry that God showed His power. He's angry that God spared souls and lives. It's strange thought to me that Jonah was on this side of things. But I think anything, if there's anything, it gives us the hope today because most of us wouldn't feel like we're qualified to live that, at least in that point of darkness. 
But I love this part because it says Jonah was very angry and he prayed. Men, I want to talk to some men today. How many of you are accustomed to when you get really angry to make sure that you hit your, your knees to the floor and spend some time in prayer? How many of that is customary among men? When we get angry, the last thing we're thinking about is getting it right with God. But this is where Jonah made, I, I say he made the headway for all of us. And he was the example. Is he prayed to the Lord his God. You know, I like this because Jonah was in a massive conflict. Joseph, Jonah wasn't in a massive conflict of physical struggle. He was in a massive conflict of an mental and emotional struggle of how he felt. How many of us have been there? Emotional, massive emotional struggles. We go through things in life where we just can't seem to get out of it. I was reminded in the psalmist, the psalmist says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And it's like he's saying, I know my hope is there. There's been so many times God has worked His way. The fabric of my life, that when everything seemed hopeless, He was the one who built hope around the walls of destruction. But why can't I now? Why can't I find hope in this moment? And so I think similarly that Jonah found himself in the complexity of the human weakness. And that is there's something so built in sometimes in the human frailty and the depravity of our condition that we can't find a way to agree with what's agreeable. We can't even find a way to just be happy with what's good. It seems to be that we're prejudiced to find all the bad things in the world and now we need to find what it is that God has said. So here he comes in this place and he's like trapped, but he prays. And I think that's powerful because no matter where you're at in life, your first goal of offense is to pray. Pray, not because it's prayer in itself. It's because when you touch God, you find the answer. You find the answer for every dilemma, every struggle. You find the answer whether you get the answer to your question or you get to find that there's an answer, that there's peace and solace, and I don't have to have an answer to my question. Boy, you guys are quiet this morning. I hope that's I hope that's because I'm preaching well. I hope so. You know, when I sit down <laughs> when I sit down to a good meal, I get quiet when I'm just, oh, this is just too good. I don't want to talk. Like last night was just one very good meal. So maybe you're getting a good meal. I hope so. Human weakness doesn't have to turn into spiritual rebellion. Look at this when he prays, he didn't let his weakness become spiritual rebellion. And we're all in danger at times. When the thing that is gnawing at us, the times when we feel like our legs are cut out from under us or the carpet's been ripped out from under us, and we feel like the struggle is so deep. And can I say that today? Can I say there's just times in life where the struggle just feels just so deep? The struggle feels so deep that it almost like uh, there's no chance that even God can't touch this one. And then it's an emotional feeling, right? It's an inward feeling of, I don't even think God can touch me. You're not saying that in your intellect but you're feeling that so emotionally collapsed. And it's important that we get this out there because that human weakness we all deal with. But I love what God gives us as an encouragement in His Word. He tells us that it's God working in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God working in me. When I'm behind the scenes, there's, there's every evil around me. I love the psalmist as he says, there's a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall, come not, it shall not come near you. The angels shall lift you up lest when you 
when you've fallen that you've dashed your foot against a stone? Isn't it powerful the promises God has given to those who are in weakness? You know, I think this, that the weakest person among us has all. God reserves a portion of His power for those who are in the worst of conditions. God fills the gaps, doesn't He? I like this. It says, Was not this what I said? Jonah looks at God and he says, Isn't this what I said? I told you this back when I was in my own country, and I knew that you were a merciful God. He's not asking, he's not looking for the answers. He already knows what the answer is. I think that's interesting. Obedience had brought such a victory, but Jonah's selfishness kept him from celebrating it. Obedience had brought about such a great victory, but selfishness had kept him from celebrating it. You know, I think we should take a very careful look at that. I love this from Andrew Murray. He says this. He says, We have within us a self that has its poison from Satan, from hell, and yet we cherish and nourish it. What do we not do to please self and nourish self? We make the devil within us strong and look at our own life. What are the works of hell? They are chiefly these three. Self-will, self-trust, and self-exaltation. When I read this, Jonah was... Listen to, listen to this as I read just one more time. He says, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, who relents from doing. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me. You hear the eyes and the me's. See, this is the thing. This is the thing that he was missing. The selfishness built inside of him was the blockade to what God wanted to do inside of him. What God wants to do. Sometimes we have every reasonable argument to hold on to that issue of anger in our life. We have every reasonable argument to say, this is unjust and this should not be done and I shouldn't have to endure it. We have every reason to argue for ourselves because we are in the favorable light of justice. And yet at the same time, if you hold on too much to it, you fail to realize that Jesus doesn't deliver you because it's about justice. He delivers you because it's about His glory. God saves you because it's about His magnificence. See, in the end, man is caught up in this thing of it's all about me and it's about what I feel and it's what I get in life and it's about my credit and it's my recognition and and, and life is built around my achievements. And we got to come off of that and realize the only reason for the being of man is for the glory of God. The Creator of the universe deserves you. The Creator of the universe who masterfully put us together and manipulated us into flesh and blood and spirit man and could do this without anybody changing it or altering it or making it any other way. The God who created us so masterfully has the right to our lives. God, if You want to put me on the chessboard of life to be a pawn, to be close but quickly snuffed out by this life, oh, but that it might be for Your glory. Oh, that my short span of breath and life might be preserved only to the length of days and even to the shortness of my breath so that in the finality that You got the glory out of my life. 
I'm amazed as I look back at my life and think about how God delivered me as a young man from many, many times my dad driving drunk and I should have been in a wreck. And think about how God delivered me. And now I look at today. And what an amazing thing that I get to be. Enjoy this beautiful congregation of people. The fact that any one person would gather here today and be a part of this splendid moment, this celebration inside of me, this celebration that says, Oh God, thank You for sparing my life, not for my own sake. Oh God, as I look at this, there's something far greater than anything done. And I am extremely grateful. Oh, can I not say today, man, is there an extreme joy inside of me that I'm alive, that I get to breathe life on the other side of the fence of depression and and the struggles of suicide. And now, not only am I not even dealing with that, but that I get to stand and say I'm a servant of the living God And however I've lived my life, I would like to live the end of my days and say, Lord, I have glorified Your name. Even when I've messed up, I've found a way to get my way back to the throne room of grace and find restoring power. I love this because as you look at Jonah, oh, what a powerful story. Look at Jonah. And this kind of human struggle that's so deep. And God doesn't abandon him. God doesn't stop His work with him. God doesn't look at the kind of the obstinance of his mind and the obstinance of his thoughts and his attitude toward him and say, I'm done with you because you just don't see things my way. God works with him. God molds the situation. God deals with him in the circumstances. Man, I love that thought because we're all there. We're all there. Lord, you're molding in the circumstances. Man, if I had some tripping moments in my life, man, you don't have to do any. I, didn't, I can't even tie my shoes together without tripping over them. And God has been so faithful. The messed up ways of seeing things that still work with me and remold and shape life. He got so desperate that he said, it is better for me to die. He just couldn't bring himself to reconcile this matter with God. Self blinds us to the real solution. It is an infection to the spiritual life that works its way into our reason and obscures our understanding until we cannot make sound judgment calls that regard the infallibility of God. How many of you would like for me to say that one more time? Even though I know you can read it, how many would you like for me to say that one more time? Self blinds us to the real solution. It is an infection in the spiritual life that works its way into our reason and obscures our understanding until we cannot make sound judgment calls that regard the infallibility of God. That was Holy Spirit put together. Holy Spirit put together. Self just gets in the way of seeing things realistically, truthfully. We just blindly have this wall of self. When God says something, self gets in the way and says, not so, Lord. Self gets in the way and says, Lord, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that this was what was going to happen? God, why am I having to go through this? And we have this self wall It says, God, you're always putting me in the circumstances that are only going to crush me. And the reality piece is, if self would get out of the way, you'd start learning to trust in Jesus. We'd really trust in Jesus. And we'd find that God would get us further and faster by simply just hear. Hear what Jesus says. He says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, work harder. Come on. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I want you to put in more time. I want, you to, I want you to pray harder because you don't pray enough. Is that what he said? 
Jesus wanted to do something. He knew that the walls of offense, the devil would build around your prayer life too. He knew the devil would try and keep you in the rut of prayer and never finding the answer of faith. When we trust in Jesus, there's something that just all of a sudden the room gets quiet and all those voices come to an end. I love this. This is one of my best experiences in life. I had a man that he, he, was, he wasn't living, but he ended up at the Pioneer Guest House. And they were doing the best that they could for him under the conditions. And he'd gone kind of crazy in that. And he'd called me and he said, he said, I want you to come pray for me. Man, I am so blessed by this, this day that happened for me. And I said, okay, I'll come pray for you. And so I got there and he said this to me. He said, I want you to pray for me that these voices in my head that have been there for 25 years, he said, I want you to pray that they'll say good things. And I said, I will not pray for you that those voices will say good things. I said, I'll do only one thing, if you'll agree with me. But we got to stand together on this. Why am I going to pray for something you're not going to agree with? I said, I will pray that those voices go away. And we prayed in the name of Jesus. That day, I got to see the power of Jesus' name. I got to see what the power of Jesus can do on somebody's life. And I remember him calling me the next day, and he said, all day long through the night, this numbness and this tingling I had in my head I had this tingling in my head, but he said, the voices are gone. The voices are gone. I was so thrilled, but I'll tell you what, the greater thrills kept happening week after week as I asked him every week. I said, do you still have the voices? No, no voices, no voices. And, and I said, and he said to me, that's the first time in 25 years that I've had no voices. See, the, other, the understanding that I got from that is, is that it wasn't James. It wasn't that he could pray loud. It wasn't that he was forceful in his prayer. It was because James believed that day in the name of Jesus. I believed in the authority of Jesus' name. And somehow he did too. And between the two of us, God did the work. And I want to say this, that Jesus did this. He made the, level, the playing ground perfect for all of us. And he said to all who would believe. <laughs> that's not for the preacher. That's for the congregation. <laughs> it's for all who will believe to see the glory of God. So in your context and the people you visit and the people you're around, you keep preaching the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Believes. From the worst to the most vile in world life, man, the moment I believed, the grace of God descended. God saved me in that moment. I want you to go to verses 4 and 5. If, if uh, we get them up there on the overhead, we'll do that too. Man, I'm excited. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh. Then the Lord said, shout if you're there. Shout if you're there. Shout if it's up there on the, on the screen. <laughs> Come on, give me an amen. amen. <laughs> there we go. Just make sure my crowd is out there. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Imagine that. There's no... 
if you're reasoning one-on-one with God, how come God isn't coming through? That's, that's the unique picture of this whole thing. He hoped that the anger, that his anger, would have been justified by the failure, their failure, to remain firm. See, they'd had a conversion. They'd had this repentance. They'd had this change. But the issue was, are they going to stay the course? See, he had the second wind of hope. (laughs) The wrong kind of hope, but he had the second wind of hope that they're going to finally come back under this, this judgment call for their life because they're going to start turning their hard hearts back to, uh, back to hardness of heart. And he sat up on the city and waited for that to happen. When a man is driven by the toxic combination of selfishness and anger, his natural tendency is to act in opposition to God. One more time. When a man is driven by the toxic combination of selfishness and anger, his natural tendency is to act in opposition to God. God says, is this right for you to be even thinking like this? Now, when God says that there's some authority to back it, right? And here he is, stuck in this selfishness and his anger. And he goes to the city. He, th- notice he, there's no answer here. He doesn't act your back. He doesn't say, no, you're right, Lord. Like we'd all feel like we'd be compelled to do because it's just the right thing to do. But no, he goes up onto the top of the city he stays the course with anger and he looks and he waits to see what happens. Selfishness keeps us in a constant state of discontentment with the way God has set things up and a constant pursuit of things outside of His will. You notice that what he was doing was he was pursuing still outside of God's will. He was going up to the top of the city and instead of, look, you know, finally, you know what, this is the way it is. I'm going to settle for the way it is is what it is. He's still not content with the ways of God. And so there's this struggle. You know this, that when you're not following in the will of God, that you're not walking. Your tendency is to act in opposition to Him as well. So it's not only that you're sacrificing the will of God, you're also living in opposition to Him. And so Jonah was in opposition, but look at this. I want you to pay attention to, in the reading of these verses, how tender God's heart is to Jonah. How faithful God is to minister to him in this condition. That's a world, a word of hope for every soul that's struggling. And isn't there a thousand questions about why God this, why God that? And I would say that there's so many valid ones as far as that's concerned. But when it comes down to it, God has a merciful touch in men's lives. How many of us have been there? You're like, Lord Jesus, the way I thought and the way that I did things, my whole mind was an absolute opposite direction of morality. Goodness, integrity, just good, just basic humanity traits. I didn't even have any good ones. And what good ones were there, they were still marred and troublesome anyway. And this is the kind of God that works with us. This is the God that works and molds our life and situations around us because He knows you tend toward those weaknesses. He knows this, but He also knows we know or we're going to go learn the power of the resurrection. I love the words of the Apostle in Romans where he says, O oh, wicked man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? No, he doesn't just stop there. He says, that's what I would do. Like, I know the right thing to do, and I don't do it. And that which I, that which I would not do, that I do. 
Like there's a messed up world all around me and I'm a great part of it. And everything I shouldn't be doing is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it by nature and I'm doing it with some joy. I'm doing it with a sense of relief. I'm doing it as if there's as a peacefulness to being sinful. <laughs> I'm doing it with pleasure and ungodliness. And, and this is the kind of picture we have of man. And if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for the way God is doing this, and you'll notice what's most powerful is in chapter 4, it says God prepares. God prepares. God prepares. If it weren't for God preparing, you wouldn't end up in the right place. And it, even while God is preparing, you're still in the wrong place. But God is doing something nevertheless. And I love the way this ends because there's an open-endedness that speaks to all of us. Can I preach this morning? Oh, man, I don't got enough. i got to quit here. I'm sorry, guys. Jonah 4.6 And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade, be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was really grateful for the plant. I want you to capture this piece. This is to deliver him from his misery. God was doing this to deliver him from his misery. And the thing that caught my attention as I was thinking about this is that, Jonah, you kind of need to be in misery. You're not all that well with where you're at, right? But God delivers him from his misery. But here's something that's an issue, is what's creating the misery? What's driving the misery in Jonah's life? I'll tell you what's driving the misery in Jonah's life. It's his selfishness. So this is what I'm going to say. God can temperamentally, and in short ways, He can give you a momentary, peaceful, or an enjoyable situation, but selfishness will apprehend it and then turn it back into something ruinous. And terrible. So God needs to do more than just deliver him from his misery because he's going to turn back to that misery if he holds on to the selfishness. So this is illustrative grace because what God is doing with this plant is he's preparing him for, for misery again. He's giving him an attempt at being enjoy, having joy and having happiness but he's about to bring him back into misery again for a purpose. Can I say that today? God's doing it for a purpose greater than just making you comfortable. Greater than just comfort. God prepared the plant. This is not prescriptive grace. This is not uh, prescriptive grace. God is setting him up to make him miserable again. Now, what do I mean by not prescriptive? God isn't giving him a reprieve in his situation to let him get to the place where he can justify his selfish behavior and his selfish mindset. Where, you know what, this is how I view it, God. That's how you view it. We can be, uh, what is it? We can agree to disagree. And that's where we're going to stand on this. This is where this finishes. We can agree to disagree. And it's interesting because God's not leaving him in that place, but that's where he's kind of trying to get into so God is not delivering him from his misery so he can agree to disagree with the creator of the universe. Not after everything that God has done. So God isn't prescribing the behavior that Jonah is having because he's giving him something of favorable experience and circumstances. The plant that's around him 
is not so God saying, hey, this is okay. And we know that because of the way God is working with him. God is setting him up to make him miserable again. Jonah's gratefulness is a savage contradiction between pity and vengeance. It's a savage contradiction between pity and vengeance. And why do I say that? Because he has vengeance for Nineveh, but he pities the plant. And God wanted all of this to happen because there's a design God has in hoping and showing him his contradictions. One way God does His work in changing a man is to lend him an opportunity to see his own contradictions. Double-mindedness is hard to justify in anybody. When you know you're playing both sides of the fence, how do you justify that? Some of the, some of the things that get us out, and I know this, as you look at it, and God knew the ingredient that would be most powerful in convincing Jonah where Jonah needed to be and what Jonah needed to do. And it says, and then God prepared a worm in verse 7. And when the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd and it withered. So God made the plant and God brought it down in just a day. God had prepared this worm because he was altering the motive of Jonah's grief, which could become a grief, which was going to become a grief for preservation. He wanted to see, see, this is a change in his grief. His grief before was about destruction. His grief now is about preservation. He wants to see preservation. He wants to see mercy enacted. He wants to see exactly what God wants him to see. And God is being powerful and resourceful in getting him there. So God is altering the motive of Jonah's grief by taking this away. See, before it was like, take it away, I'll be happy. Now he's like, don't take it away. I can't be happy if you take it away. The wrong kind of grief and disappointment can rob us of godly perspective. We need healing tears. The wrong kind of grief and disappointment can rob us of godly perspective. We need healing tears. I was reminded of this as I was praying for somebody earlier this week, and I'd asked them, I know the grief you're going through, and I'd asked, I said, is this healing tears, or is this other kind of tears? And he said, this is healing tears. See, there's something in the Word of God that we often miss, and we miss this part. We're always talking about joy, and we're always talking about gladness and praise. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. He says it's the sorrow of the heart, the sorrow of the countenance that makes the heart better. I love my my go-to verse is in Psalm 121. And it says this, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and bringing precious seed shall doubtless come come again bringing his sheaves with him. That to me is like, There's a soundness. There's a beautiful word God has for us. Tears are not always this thing we're trying to push away. Oh, brother, oh, sister, we need you to be happy today. No, sometimes tears is a healing matter. And so this, we don't want to be carried away with the wrong kind of grief. God was changing His grief. The motive of that grief. He didn't stop Him from grieving. He just changed what He was grieving about. Obstacles in life are often the worm God uses to alter the motive and perspective of our grief. Which most of it revolves around our selfishness. God uses the obstacles in life as the worm that alters the motive and perspective of grief. How many of you are with me? The circumstances. 
It's a circumstances. Why didn't God give me good circumstances on this one? Why didn't I get favorable results? Well, because your heart is more quickly changed by these ones. Jonah 4, 4 verses 8 through 9. And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind. So the worm destroyed the plant, but God did something else. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished again, he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Now, I want you to catch something. He did the same thing at the beginning, but this is completely different. What you might have been thinking, and when I first started reading this, I was like, he's still angry about Nineveh. No, he's angry about the plant. He's angry about the plant, but it's a reverse in how he's angry about it. Now, this is powerful to me as I think about it, as God was working the situations in life to bring Jonah to this place of pity, not anger. And I love what God said to him. Let me, let me finish off. Jonah's anger uh, for loss of the plant contradicted his anger over the preservation of Nineveh. God led him without him knowing it into the kind of anger that he should have had from the beginning. God uses the east wind of certain kinds of suffering to bring to surface our own contradictions. In other words, God is awakening us to the perversion in our minds so that He can purify our hearts. Now, rather you, you end the context of your life not knowing whether you got it or you didn't, still God does this work to get you there. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, verses 10 through 11, nor made it grow for which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God moved, moved Jonah from anger to pity so that he could recover him from the bias of his selfishness left in, left in him and to renew the original call. God did this with the purpose in mind to get the bias of his selfishness outside of him. See, Jesus wanted us to be in an agreement with him. And, and this is the thing. This is the power of prayer. Now listen to me because I'm going to catch on something. Some of us want, we want a new dynamic in prayer life. I'm not going to tell you to change how much time you pray. I'm not going to tell you that the goal is on the frequency of how often you pray. I'm not going to say anything's going to change about the prayer life itself, but this one thing, and that is, is that what is, what is going to help us recover from it is the selfishness that's often built into our prayer times. And what I mean by that is, is that there's the me factor. When we want God to do something, we want it for me. And you can't get away from it fully. But there has to be a point in our life where we want it more for Him than we do ourselves. So God moved him to this place to recover him from selfishness so that he could renew the original call. And I'm supposing that today, if I asked you, what is the original call? You would have said, 
Well, that was to go to Nineveh. And I'm going to tell you no. It was not the original call. The original call was moment. He was before he was born. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you, not just to be a prophet, not just to preach in Nineveh. I called you to myself. The original call was to be one with God. Jesus said this when He was praying to the Father that they might be one as we are one. There was this desire not only that they would be one with themselves, but they would be one with God. And so that this, the struggle is this is not what I do in life. It is where I am with God in life. And this is the thing God is always enacting upon in order to get us to that place where He wants us to be. So when I think of that is I become more enjoined to the promises of God, not because it simplifies or makes life easier or that I, I can get away from misery. But what it does for me is it gets me closer to God. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you this because I think this is true. I think from my own experience, I can say this truthfully and honestly, that when the way you get away from misery is to get close to God. Misery is the nearness of being in His presence, being with Him. Misery is not changes in my life, ultimately. Misery is that I don't know Him even when life is at its best. Because deception carries misery with it. I can be a happy, lucky-go person. I can have riches untold. I can have no problems in life. I can have every situation in life, as it were, peaceable. And all the more, I want to joy and laugh about what's going on in life. But that's not without misery. Because the greatest misery is that when I get deceived enough to believe that my happiness revolves around my experiences and not around God, that will take me as swiftly into hell itself as it would be if I had nothing but evil sins in my life. Looking at a moral person from the outside is not God's way of working in us. Morality is not God, not man at his best. Man at his best is looking strictly in the face of God and being at peace with his maker. So when we see this, as God has worked all of this into play, and as I just do an overview of all that's happened from the first chapter of Jonah to the last chapter of Jonah, you see this Jonah going his direction. You see Jonah in the really struggle of what humanity is all about. And that's the truth as it is. And God is working one thing to narrow him to that one piece. Jonah, it's not the prophecy. It's not about the men on the ship that are saved. It's not about Nineveh that's saved, not ultimately. Those are all secondary benefits of the great King of kings and the great Lord of lords. But the greatest benefit to any man's life, any woman's life, is that we can say, I know Him. I know Him. I know the God who gave me life. And I know Him through the blood of Jesus Christ because there's no morality this, face, this side of eternity. And let me encourage you today. Let me do everything I can to encourage you today. I don't give a care if you're a moral giant or not. It's never going to take the place. Morality will never trump card. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem us from sin, to make us new and righteous in the eyes of God. Like I don't put my hope that I'm going to, if, if, if I could walk perfectly, if I could become the perfect pastor, which would all make every one of us laugh at the idea of it, that somehow that, that would be just as good that would be at least just as good as the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus offers us all up a new opportunity today.
I'd like to end our time this morning in prayer. I'd like to end our time in the, this morning in, in a moment's glance. And I'm not sure. There just seems to be kind of a hush over my crowd this morning. And I hope that the Word of God is coming and touching you in a special way. I have no intention here this morning to create uh, a feeling that makes you feel like I can't go forward. I want this one thing. I want us to put our hope in Jesus. I want us to do that gladly, renewed this morning. I want no matter what heights we're living on, to start a new fresh, a hope with Jesus. I'm opening up, I want to open this, this altar up for us this morning. And it's, it's my altar, it's your altar. I want to take time, whether it, you stay where you're at or not, but I want to give you an opportunity to come before God afresh and just open your heart to Him. There's something about selfishness that gets in to us as Christians. There's something about this is my view and I can't help but hold on to it that gets in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. And we can't spend the rest of our Christian life stagnating spiritually, stagnating morally because we're holding on to things. This is my view, Lord. So Lord, renew us today. Father, I want to thank You for the renewing strength of the Holy Spirit that's in this room. Brothers and sisters, please listen to me. The renewing strength of the Holy Spirit in this room. You don't have to live one more day regretting the past. Lord, they don't have to live. We don't have to live one more day regretting our past. We don't have to live one more day stammering over what our future is going to look like. Hmm. We don't have to live one more day stammering over what our future is going to look like. Amen. Not one more moment. Not one more moment about how different it's going to be or what I need. Jesus, You told us, do not worry about for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. But You told us right now, Lord, you just told us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness and all these things shall be provided. I'm grateful to be on this side of that part of it. I want to invite you right now. Come up front if the Holy Spirit is moving your heart. If you've recognized, listen to me very carefully. If you've recognized there's been some selfishness built into the schemes of your life and you have not let go of them. You have not let go of them. And similarly to like Jonah, you are struggling desperately to be completely faithful even over a minute area of selfishness. You've got to hear me today. God wants to deliver you because you put faith in Him. Because you put faith in Him. Lord, I think I would be a fool if I didn't say that there's something about that right now in this place. God, in me as well. Jesus, I would be a fool if I told you that I don't have any elements of self that have been conflicting with your will in my life. Right now, brothers and sisters, please hear me. Right now, I'm asking you to please respond to the Holy Spirit. To respond to the Lord. I don't usually feel the urgency, but I do at this moment. To respond to the Holy Spirit about selfishness. I don't give a care that there's people here watching. 
I want you to get free with the Lord. Jesus. Jesus, help us this morning to get free in Jesus. Lord, we don't have to be a captive to our selfishness. And Father, I'll be the first to ask you, Lord, in my life, would you just do something to grow me and draw me closer to you? Please come, my brothers and sisters. Uh, Isaac, I want you right at the moment. I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this. Just play the music in the background right now. This is an altar call invitation to all of us.